0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. If we remember, Luke 14 ends with Jesus saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now look how chapter 15 starts. It's a notice that all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. They had ears to hear what the Savior was saying. But the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling. This man receives sinners and and eats with them. Now, what a great word of hope that is for sinners. If the thought of standing before the holy God, who knows every thought you've ever had, every word you've ever spoken, every action you've ever taken, if that frightens you because you know that your sin is great... Don't run. Rather, do what these sinners did here in Jesus' day. They drew near to Him, and they listened to Him. He will receive you. Now, Jesus owns up to the Pharisees' charge and defends Himself, kind of, by telling three parables that all have the same... they all make the same point, but with a little bit different emphasis. And the point is this. God goes to great effort to seek lost sinners... And he greatly rejoices when they come to repentance. So let's just go to the Lord. Father, we come one more time before you just to bow the knee, to say that we love you, to thank you for the gift of your word. In it, you reveal yourself as well as our true selves to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would know it's the Holy Spirit talking to us, that you would convict us where we need convicting, that you would encourage us where we need encouraging. Father, do your work in our heart that at the end of the day, we would give you glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, obviously, we're looking at the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And and Lord willing, next week, uh, we'll study the parable of the lost or the prodigal son, as he's typically known. Now, the first thing I want you to see is that sinners are lost until God finds them. The biblical description of those who do not know Jesus Christ is not unsaved. It's lost. Now, that's an empty, hopeless word when used in reference to things or to animals. But it's an especially bleak word when it's used in reference to people. Whether the person knows it or not, the Bible describes every person who does not know Jesus Christ as lost. Lost. In what is perhaps one of the, the, surely one of the saddest verses in Scripture, Paul describes the former conditions of his readers, and he says, You were at that time, this is before Christ, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? Well, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. Now, a lost sheep in the Judean wilderness was doomed. It had no protection. It would only be a short time before critters like coyotes or other things came along to attack it and kill it. Now, a lost dog might eventually find its way home, but not a lost sheep. And as such, it's really a picture, a great picture of a lost sinner. The sinner may not even know that that he's lost and headed for destruction. But that is the truth. And even if he becomes aware of his condition, there's really nothing that he by himself can do about it. Jesus said that no one comes unto him unless the Father draws him. Paul says that the God of this world, he's talking about Satan here, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Unbelievers are lost, they're helpless. They're simply pray for the enemy unless God intervenes. And guess what? Thankfully, God has intervened. And Jesus shows us that number two, God goes to great effort to seek sinners. The shepherd leaves his 99 sheep and goes and looks for the one lost. The the woman who lost her coin sets aside all of her other work and she diligently, diligently searches until she finds it. Jesus is the good shepherd. Do you remember what He said His mission was? To seek and to save what? The lost. So I've got four things I want you to see here. First, A, God takes the initiative in seeking sinners. Look at our, look at our parables here. Both the shepherd and the woman realized the problem and they took the initiative to deal with it. They both began searching for the lost item. The lost sheep and the lost coin, notice, they were passive in this process. The only reason they were ever found was because the shepherd and the woman initiated a diligent search for them. Now, Scripture's pretty clear. If we're saved, it's because the Lord took the initiative, not us. And that initiative, it springs out of His love and His compassion, You remember what the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians early on? He says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. In Romans Romans 5, Paul tells us that God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. If salvation had been left up to us, we would still be in our sins. But thank God, He lovingly took the initiative. He launched the search. He sent Christ to die for our sins while we were wandering from the fold. So God takes the initiative. Second B, God undertakes the personal cost of the search. Now, in the case of the shepherd, He had to take whatever time it took to search for this lost sheep. He had to expose himself to the dangers and the perils of the wilderness and the weather. The same lions or wolves that stalked his sheep might stalk him as well. He had to go without sleep because the longer that sheep remained lost, the greater the risk of his destruction. In the case of the woman and her coin, everything was set aside until she found that coin. Her shopping would have to wait. Her her meal preparation was postponed. She didn't get to go to the water and draw a well and chat with her neighbors. She didn't go to the stream to do her laundry. Her one consuming focus was on looking for that lost coin, no matter how much effort it took. Now, how many of you can identify with this woman? When you lose something, even if it's not great value, you just kind of go crazy until you can put your hands on it, right? The point is, the shepherd and the woman did whatever it took, however costly, to find the missing sheep, to find the missing coin. But think about us. Think about our salvation. The cost was so much greater. Paul tells us that God did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. Jesus didn't selfishly cling to the glory and the beauty and the comfort of heaven, but He laid aside His rights and He came to this earth. And He didn't come as a mighty king ready to judge, but as a lowly servant to give his life a ransom for many. He willingly endured the abuse of really ignorant men that he could have zapped off the face of the earth. And he did it in order to secure our salvation. So God pays the cost of the search. We'll see, God pursues lost sinners until he finds them. The shepherd relentlessly searched until at last he found a sheep. The woman didn't give up until she found that missing coin. Well, in the same way, the good shepherd goes after every sheep whom the Father has given to him, that none will be lost, as John tells us, but that all will be brought safely into the fold. You ever read The Hounds of Heaven? Well, in that poem, uh, we see that God keeps going after the straying sinner until He rescues him and brings him home. If you are saved you know that it was not because you sought after God, but because God kept searching for you until He'd rescued you from your your sin. The late Bible teacher, Harry Ironside, he, he told of a convert, a new convert, who was giving testimony at a church service. And with a smile on his face and with joy in his heart, the man related how he had been delivered from a life of sin. And he gave the Lord all of the glory, saying nothing about anything that he himself had done. Now, the person who was leading the meeting, he was a legalistic man, and he really didn't understand the fact that salvation is totally by God's grace, apart from human works or merit. And so he responded to the to the young man's comments by saying, you seem to indicate that God did everything when He saved you. Didn't you do your part first, and then God do His? Well, the new Christian jumped to his feet, and he says, oh, yes, I did. For more than 30 years, I ran away from God as fast as my sins could carry me. That was my part. (laughs) But God took after me and ran me down. That was His part. Ironside commented, it was well put and tells a story that every redeemed sinner understands. God pursues us until we are found. Well, D... When God finds lost sinners, he keeps them safely. When the shepherd found the lost sheep, he didn't get out his whip and drive it back to the fold, did he? No, he probably secured it on his shoulders and then walked him back to where they'd come from. Now, I'm not especially fond of artists' renditions of paintings of Jesus and what have you, but I do like the one where the smiling shepherd has the sheep over his shoulders and he's holding his feet. He's holding his legs so that it won't get lost again. As Jesus said concerning his sheep, I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Now Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he pokes fun at those who the Savior, uh, who say that the Savior, who says that those the Savior has saved can ever be lost. He says that those who hold this view they need to go to heaven and simply um, set the angels straight on the matter. They need to tell them not to rejoice until the person has died and has actually gone to heaven. What if he repents, but later falls away and is lost? The angels shouldn't be so fast in their rejoicing. Now Spurgeon's poking fun. The glad fact is, you are not secure in your salvation because of your grip on the Savior, but rather because of His grip on you. Man, y'all you guys can go ahead and come on back up. He chose you as, as as his own before time began. He set his son, he sent his son to secure your redemption by his blood. He sent the Holy Spirit to pursue you with the good news that Christ died for your sins. He sought you, he sought after you until he found you and rescued you from your hopeless condition. Do you think that He's now going to let you go back? Back into your sins? Back into being lost again? Impossible. If the good shepherd has saved you, He will keep you from falling. Now, we're we're fixing to to do a song. It's entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. It's brand new. We're going to do it as a special. We were doing it earlier in the service, and I thought, no, this is perfect, because this is exactly what this point is about. That He will hold me fast. We are secure in our Savior's arms. Fast. Now, before I move on to the next point, uh, I want to apply this point that goes to that God goes to uh, great effort to seek lost sinners. If He so seeks lost sinners, should not we? If our Lord came from heaven to seek and to save the lost, shouldn't we pray? We be praying often. Lord, use me to be Your instrument in seeking lost people with your good news. Rather than avoiding sinners, we should be pursuing them, not to run with them in their sins, but to rescue them from this evil world. Ask God to burden your heart with the lost, to give you opportunities to pursue them with the gospel. Remember, Paul tells us that the the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we've seen that sinners are lost until God finds them. And we've seen that He goes to great effort to seek and save them. And the third point here, God rejoices greatly when lost sinners come to repentance. Now there's a marked contrast in the text between the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes and the great joy both in heaven and on earth when the lost are found. Note verse 5, rejoicing. Verse 6, rejoice. Verse 7, joy. Verse 9, rejoice. Verse 10, joy again. Heaven's already filled with joy, is it not? But when a sinner gets saved, it seems that they throw a party. (laughs) This is just what the father of the prodigal son did. We're looking forward to next week. You remember when he tells his older son, We had to be merry and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, note two things. A, God's joy is over sinners who repent. It's not over the righteous who need no repentance. Now, in these three parables, I believe that the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, they all represent those lost tax collectors and the sinners who were coming to hear Jesus and who were getting saved. The 99 sheep, the nine coins that were not lost, and the older brother, who never strayed, they all represent the Pharisees and the scribes. They're not in the fold, they're not in the household of faith, but in the household of Israel, made up both of those who are saved and those who are not. Now, it's not that they didn't need repentance for themselves, but rather, they thought that they, didn't, that they were good enough to not need repentance, period. Period. So Jesus is using irony here to show them their self-righteous pride. Especially in the case of the older brother who couldn't bring himself to rejoice at his brother's repentance. He is simply a mirror of the Pharisees. We see the same thing back in Luke 5, 32, when the Pharisees grumbled because Jesus was eating with sinners at Levi's house. Do you remember Jesus' response? I have, come to call the, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. To repentance. The Lord hates pride. And so the Pharisees, they were just as sinful as the more outwardly notorious sinners that they despised. But they were blind towards their own hypocrisy and pride. Jesus also confronts them in chapter 16, verse 15, when He says, "...you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart." Jesus, he hits the same thing in chapter 18, verse 9, when the, the publican and uh, the Pharisee, uh, they go to the temple to pray. And, he, and Jesus told that parable because the Pharisees had, had trusted in themselves and that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. So the righteous here are the self-righteous who need to repent just as much as the tax collectors and the sinners, but who are blind to their need. Now, repentance means turning to God from our sins. And such repentance is God's gift. It's not a work of man. It's inextricably bound up with saving faith. You cannot have one without the other. When a person savingly believes in Christ, he turns from his sins and he trusts in God's mercy. A person who says, I believe in Jesus, but has never repented of his sins has not truly believed in Jesus unto salvation. When a certain sinner turns from all of his sins to God, all of heaven rejoices because God gets the glory. But when the self-righteous person continues in his self-righteousness, that person gets the glory and God is not pleased. Well, B, God's joy is shared by the angels in heaven. Peter tells us that the angels long to look into the matters of our own salvation. The angels, they revel in the glory of God, and God is glorified, glorified in His sovereign grace, secured by the death of Christ and revealed to undeserving sinners by the Holy Spirit. Now the angels also rejoice because they know the, the terrors of hell that would overtake the lost sinners were it not for God's redeeming grace. They know the joy of God's glorious presence in heaven. Where those rescued by the Good Shepherd will spend eternity. Not one that the Father has chosen and given to the Son will ever be lost. Or else Satan and his evil forces would rejoice and the angels in heaven would mourn. But the angels rejoice when a sinner repents because that sinner will now spend eternity glorifying God and His grace for all eternity. Again, let let me apply this. If God so rejoices when sinners repent, shouldn't we? The things that make us happy, they reflect our values or, or what we consider important. Do we rejoice when our stocks go up and we make a killing? Do we rejoice when we get a new car? But when we hear of a sinner getting saved, we say, oh, that's nice. God greatly rejoices when a sinner repents. The angels join in that rejoicing. We should too. Now, these parables show God's concern and compassion for sinners, but not for sinners just in mass. In other words, not considered all at once. No. Uh, but for sinners, individual sinners. The shepherd, he goes after one particular sheep. The woman who's lost a coin is looking after one particular coin. Jesus told us in John 10 that the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. He calls them individually to come to himself. He cares about every lost sinner who needs repentance. He cares for you. On a cold night in England, many years ago, a group of children slipped into the back of a sanctuary to warm up. And uh, the preacher was speaking from Luke 15.2, part of our passage today. And in the King James Version, it reads, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now afterwards, one of the children, a girl of about eight years old, she went up to the pastor and said, Pardon me, sir, but I didn't know that my name was in the Bible. And he asked, Well, what's your name? Edith, sir. And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry, Edith This is not in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. I heard you. You said that this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. You get it? Although she had misunderstood the text, what had she have done? She had applied it to herself personally. If you know that, you are, that there are sins uh, in your heart that need God's merciful forgiveness, maybe you need to put your name in there. This man receives sinners and Michelle, and Jeremy, and Wally, and Penny, and Bill, and Sherry, whoever with them, He'll receive you today. Now, if you'll join those tax collectors and the sinners and draw near to Jesus and listen to Him, you will know the joy of singing, I once was lost, but now am found. Let's pray. Father, we thank You once again for Your Word. Uh, We pray that it would do its work in our heart to draw us to Yourself. Father, that uh, when we walk out of here, we would look more like Your Son, Jesus. And so we pray that, uh, God, in this moment, that You would do that work in our heart, and we'll give You praise and glory for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There comes a point in everybody's life where you realize that you're lost. Not unsaved. You're lost. You have nowhere to look. You've tried. Maybe you've tried. Um, you know all the things that the world has to offer. The little illustration I used by Harry Ironside. That man said, "Yeah, I ran away from God as fast for 30 years as fast as my sins could carry me. But then He overtook me." Maybe you realize this morning that you are lost and you need to be found. Wouldn't you be like to be? Wouldn't you like to be found by God through His Son Jesus Christ? It's clear. Jesus is talking about those who repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from this world and say, God, I'm turning to You. I trust You. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you this morning, take that step. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ. Your life. If you're a believer... Uh, I just hope that this is encouraging for you to understand that yes, there's lots of lost sheep out there. There are lots of lost coins. And God has determined that we are the means, the gospel is the means of finding them. So we, we don't need to be this way towards them. Jesus never did this to anybody, even a man who had leprosy. What did Jesus do? He walked right up and he touched the man. Our job is to be with sinners. Not to chase the world along with them, but to rescue them from this world through the gospel. It's nothing we do. This is God's work. This is the mystery of the gospel. I hope you're doing that in your life. If you don't have that vision, if you don't have that that inside feeling, then you need to pray to God to open your eyes and let you see the world, let you see the lost as He sees them. Ask him to give you eyes of compassion and love for the lost.
1: Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.